you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 14 this day. Let us read this text and we will pray and then we will move into it. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Lord, God, you know the heart. And you know every man, and you know our struggles. Lord, you know that the apostles were men, the same nature as you and I. Lord, that uh, you worked through them mightily. And Lord, that uh, we recognize this. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just give me your words today, that you would work with me. The Holy Spirit would speak forth in this text. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Amen. So if you are a Christian today, you know the constant battle with the flesh and sin. From the fall of Adam, sin has been prevalent in the world, and man has been guilty of terrible evil deeds. We know from Romans 1.30 that men are inventors of evil. We see Galatians 5.17. It states, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Later down in this same Spot, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. There's a description of the deeds of the flesh. It says here, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if we are all honest with each, with ourselves and each other, maybe we haven't done all of these things. Maybe we weren't drunkards or whatever, but we have been guilty of these things. We've been guilty of these things. Anyone who is saved has been called to live by the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5.16, it says, 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. As Galatians 5.16. And we are given the Spirit. We are given spiritual giftings when we are saved at the point of salvation. And these giftings are manifested and produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law. However, we have a constant struggle, a constant struggle within us against the things of the flesh. For some reason or another, we don't seem to be able to shake these things. Now, if you're unrepentant of these things, then I suggest you take it up with God and look at what's going on in your life. But I think the Apostle Paul said this best. And he said it in Romans seven fifteen through 20. He says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. The Apostle Paul comes out and says, we have this battle, we have this sin in us. Even the Apostle Paul, this man comes out and says, I do the things I don't want to do. And yet, I don't do the things that I want to do. He says, I'm willing to do them, I really want to do them, but for some reason, I have this battle. And that is part of what we are seeing here this morning. As the Apostle Paul starts out his final defense of his apostleship to the Galatians, he points this out. He shows that we have Cephas here in Galatians 2. Cephas is his Aramaic name. We know him as Peter. He says that Peter has come to Antioch. And Paul is there in Antioch. And he spent some time there. He's obviously been participating with the Gentile believers, ministering with them, eating with them, living life. And Paul points this out in verse 14 when he says that he is living like a Gentile. Peter has not been following the dietary laws, nor the Mosaic law, 
and rightfully so. Seeing that we have just come out of a conclusive Jerusalem council, which ruled on this, and of which it was recorded that Peter gave the primary testimony. We also know that in Acts 10, Peter was given instruction by God in a vision that he was allowed to eat anything he wanted. The vision came down. It was a sheet with all kinds of food on it. And Peter said, no, I've never touched an unclean thing in my life. And God said, I've made everything clean. Kill and eat. And he did it three times. He was instructed by God in this vision to do that. And through that stemmed his event with Cornelius, where he witnessed the salvation of Gentiles by the work of God through him. He was directly involved with the salvation of Gentile believers. He was directly involved with the salvation of Gentiles. And he knew that they did not have to be circumcised. He knew that they did not have to follow the Mosaic law to become saved. But we now see that in verse 11 here of Acts chapter 2, that Paul is opposing him to his face publicly because it says that Peter stood condemned. He stood condemned. How could that be? How could Peter stand condemned? Paul's telling us that Peter defected when the Jews who were the party of the circumcision came to Antioch. Peter withdrew from eating with the Gentiles and moved to isolating himself with the Jews. But wasn't it Peter that stood up and testified in opposition to these same people? These same people who demanded circumcision and following of the Mosaic law by the Gentiles in order to be saved, wasn't it Peter who stood up to them? Doesn't he know? How could this be? How could Peter do this? I'll give you the answer. Peter, like Paul, and everyone that has ever lived, was human. He was human. We like to look at Scripture and think that these men could do no wrong. Many times we think that the prophets and the apostles in Scripture were some sort of superhumans that could do no wrong. And that they had this knowledge within them that no other man could possess. But in truth, in truth, it is the Holy Spirit within them that has done those works. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you and me today. The same Holy Spirit. They weren't anything special. They weren't anything special. As a matter of fact, Peter was just a lowly fisherman. He didn't have anything special to bring to the kingdom of God. And Paul 
Paul persecuted the church. Paul went against the church. He wasn't bringing anything. He was bringing opposition. But I think we're even guilty of this today. We see men who seem to be elevated teachers of the Word, and we put them on a high pedestal, when in actuality, they're only humans, just like you and me. We all struggle. We all have the same struggles. Paul addressed it here. He said, the things I don't want to do, I do. He struggled. Peter struggled. And it's obvious here. He pulled himself away from doing what he knew was right. Paul again in Romans 7.15 says this about himself. We saw it a little earlier. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. If we go to Acts 14.11-15, we have Paul. He has just performed a miracle. He has healed a man. And the people's conclusion is that he and Barnabas are gods. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed into the crowd, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Paul declared to them, we are only men. We are only men. We have the same nature as you do. But what Paul is saying is that it is the Holy Spirit that performed these miracles. It is the Holy Spirit doing this so that you would turn away from these gods. It's the Holy Spirit through me that preached Christ to you so that you would turn away from the false gods, from the false Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, all of these false gods. He says, do not make men out to be these gods. And we need to realize that Peter was just a man, just like you and me. We see this throughout Scripture. Peter struggles throughout Scripture. Many people say he was the apostle with the foot shaped mouth. He proclaimed so many things so many times and he was rebuked. We see this in Mark 8, 31 through 33. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, speaking of Jesus, 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he, meaning Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter was just a man. Peter was just a man. And he needed instruction. He needed rebuke, just like all of us do. We also know in Luke twenty-two fifty-four through 62 that Peter even denied Christ three times. He was just a man. And he succumbed to pressures of this world, just like you and me do. I don't know about you. I'm guilty of it all the time. But I also end up repenting of it all the time. But aside from the obvious that he's only human, why would Peter act this way? Why would he act in a way that says that we can't accept these Gentiles without circumcision and following of the law? The answer is in Galatians 2.8. Galatians 2.8. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Do you get that? Peter was effective for the Jews, for the ministry to the Jews. He was an effective apostle to the Jews. So all the while he's in Antioch with this large group of Gentiles, he has no issue with them. He recognizes them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he has great fellowship with them. However, we have these influential false teaching Jews. They're known as the party of the circumcision here in Scripture. The name that we've given them outside of Scripture is called the Judaizers. Nowhere in Scripture is that written, but what that means is that it was Jews trying to turn Gentiles into Jews. Okay? So we have these false teaching Jews, and they claim to be coming from James, from the church in Jerusalem in James. And now the pressure is on for Peter. He doesn't want to offend these men because he has an effective ministry and apostleship to the circumcised, to the Jews. And it says he feared the party of the circumcision. And this is a way of life at the time. There was a fact that the Jews and the Gentiles did not associate with each other as a normal understanding. 
And these men most likely ridiculed Peter about his association with the Gentiles, along with arguments that they would have made that these Gentiles have not been circumcised. So how could they even be possibly true believers? How could they possibly even be true believers? And if that's the case, why would you, Peter, be associating with these people? The Jews and the Gentiles would not eat with each other. The Jews, even to this day, have separate sets of dishes that they cook their meals with to stay clean because you are not to have milk and meat together according to the Jewish laws, especially at this time. You're not to eat milk and meat together because in the Bible it says that you are not to cook the calf in its mother's milk. You are to eat kosher. And so they have separate sets of dishes that they cook these things in so that they don't violate this law. They are to the strictest of the law. Now, some of them today don't do that, and I'm sure there was some at Jesus' time that didn't do that. But they were of strictest adherence to the law. To eat something even off of a dish from a Gentile, you were defiling yourself let alone stepping into their house, hugging and kissing them because they're great brothers and sisters. No, that was not the way the Jews and the Gentiles saw each other. Today, it's different. Today, we have more of a tolerance towards each other, I guess, if you could say it that way. But these men... They're the circumcision, so it's obvious that they were following the strictest adherence to the law. And they would be ridiculing Peter because of this. And Peter is now given into this. He is guilty of hypocrisy. And Paul says that he stands condemned as a leader, guilty of dividing the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul watched Barnabas fall into this with Peter. Barnabas, who ministered to the Gentiles along with Paul for 17 years now, who has eaten with the Gentiles, who has fellowshiped with the Gentiles. He even is now following Peter into this hypocrisy. And now there's a huge public division in the church. And Paul is saying that he has to address this. And it has to be public because all of this is done in public. So Paul, in verse 14 of our Galatians text here, says this, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you being a Jew... Live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews? How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Paul is rebuking Peter. He says, your actions are one of a hypocrite and they are public. 
In essence, you as a leader of the church have caved in to the pressure of those who you know are false. And now you've divided the church and alienated the Gentiles. These Gentiles who are in the body of Christ. And you've done this through your actions without even saying a word. Without even saying a word, you are proclaiming that the party of the circumcision is right and that you do have to do works plus faith for your salvation. Paul is saying they are winning because of your actions. Now, I don't know anybody who wants to make any type of confrontation like this. I'm sure Paul, it was eating him up inside. But why is Paul bringing this up here? This is something that happened in the past. Why does he state this to the Galatians? Why is he talking about this? Well, if you remember earlier, I said that this is Paul's final defense to the Galatians of his apostleship. The first two chapters of this letter here is Paul defending his apostleship and the fact that the gospel he preaches is the true gospel. So we are still in the context of a defense to Paul's apostleship and the gospel. And we see this right out of the gate. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right out of the gate, Paul says, I'm an apostle. Which tells us that there are people who are saying he's not. There are people who are trying to discredit his apostleship. So he is defending this. He is saying, I am apostle, and it's not from men. Men did not make me an apostle. The Lord Jesus Christ made me an apostle. He gives a second defense to this, as we've seen in by his conversion on the Damascus Road. He is showing us the contrast between his former manner in Judaism and his saved nature. And he concludes that argument with this, Galatians 1, 23 and 24. But they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. He proclaims it here, and we saw it in Acts, right after his conversion. Those in Damascus were proclaiming that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, is now preaching Christ. How in the world could you be so diametrically opposed to yourself if there wasn't something that happened to you to do this. If Christ had not come and proclaimed to Paul himself, 
and that he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, then how could Paul and how could these people testify that he is now preaching Christ? He was so opposed to Christ, he was arresting and killing Christians. And in an instant, he's now preaching the faith? Wow. I think that's a pretty good defense, don't you? (laughs) And it's not just him. These people are saying this about him. He continues his defense with the example of the ruling of the Jerusalem Council and his acceptance from the apostles as an apostle. We saw this last week. Galatians 2, 7 through 10. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Paul was confirmed. It was publicly and officially confirmed in the Jerusalem Council that what he was doing and who he was was the apostle to the Gentiles. That he was preaching the correct gospel and that he was doing it in the right manner, and that it was effective ministry to the Gentiles. Now we have Paul's final argument of his true apostleship. Not that Paul even wants to bring these things up. He's being forced to, to defend himself. But he is saying, look, If I am not a true apostle, then how could I have been right in taking on Peter when he defected? When even Barnabas, who I know is a true worker in the ministry, followed Peter into hypocrisy. How could I even do this if I was not even a true apostle? No one was ever able to question Peter's apostleship. He walked on the earth with Christ. In public, in front of everybody. Yet Paul had to take him on and correct him. How can you say Paul's not an apostle? How could you even think of that? Paul's saying he had to stand up for the truth in the gospel, even if it meant going against. An apostle such as Peter, who was the lead apostle. You see, Paul's not bragging about this. Again, this is something no one wants to have to do. I'm sure Paul was devastated. I'm sure he was heartbroken 
to see that Peter succumbed, Peter of all people, succumbed to the pressures of this world, of these people who said that you have to follow the law to be saved. But Paul was one of the great defenders of the gospel. And he knew this. If we go to Philippians 1.16, Paul is writing to the Philippians. And he's told them that he is imprisoned and changed. And he's with the Praetorian Guard. And that it has turned out to the greater progress of the gospel. He has acknowledged that it has made more people courageous to preach the gospel to an even greater extent. And he says this. He says, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The Apostle Paul was defender of the gospel. And to be able to defend the true gospel... He also had to defend his apostleship. He had always been plagued by false teachers. We see it throughout his letters to the different churches in the New Testament. He's always been plagued by these false teachers trying to discredit him so they could discredit the gospel of Christ. If you could discredit Paul... You can discredit the gospel. And that's true. If you can discredit Paul because he wrote the majority of the New Testament writings. If you could discredit Paul, you could discredit the gospel. Because the gospel he preached was the true gospel of Christ. Therefore, Paul has to make his defense. Not that he wants to defend himself. Again, that's that's a hard, hard thing to do. But in the end, everything that Paul did was to the defense of the gospel. So if Paul was able to stand up to one who was not even questioned to be an apostle, along with all the other valid arguments that he's made, then how could anyone question Paul's apostleship and his commitment to the gospel of Christ? He was accepted as an apostle It even claims that we see that in Acts 15. We see that here in his relating to the Galatians. But he has always had to defend it. Everywhere he went, he had to defend it because these people kept coming in after him and kept saying, he's not an apostle, he's not an apostle. And what he's teaching you is wrong. What he's teaching you is not right. You have to do this by works. You have to have some part of it. Brothers and sisters, we have no part of it. We stand here. We stand here. And we do evil, wretched things. And God convicts us. 
God convicts us. He did it to all the apostles that he walked with on the earth here. He did it to Paul. He does it with all of us. He convicts us. Now we are mere men. We are mere people. Men and women. And yes, we fall into sin. We fall into these things, these traps that Satan lies for us. And Peter did the same thing. But I would also believe that Peter recognized that and Peter repented of that. It's not recorded here that that happened. But Peter went on to preach the gospel more. And so did Paul. And therefore I believe that they were reconciled. They were reconciled. Peter was reconciled to Paul and to God, even though he did the things that he did not want to do. Paul even said himself, he does the things he does not want to do. There is a battle out there. We are in spiritual warfare. If you don't believe that, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you because you are not going to be prepared. And you will become prey to that. But Paul defended his apostleship. And to the point that no one could discredit him, he had the fellowship of the other apostles. It was in a letter in writing. They couldn't discredit him. But they tried. They tried their hardest. They tried their hardest. With that, let's pray. Lord, you are God of all creation. You know, God, we are mere men and women here on earth. And Lord, for some reason, our flesh rises up. And Lord, we do the things we don't want to do. We sin moment by moment. But Lord, we have the Holy Spirit in us, just as these men did, just as Paul did, just as Peter did, just as Barnabas and John and James. All the apostles, we have the Holy Spirit. We have you living inside us, convicting us of the things that we do wrong. Lord, I ask that we would listen to that conviction. We would listen to our conscience this day and Lord we would follow you Lord we would have a repentant heart of the sin that we do have and Lord we would follow you Lord I thank you for Paul and his apostleship his declaration of the true gospel Lord I thank you that you worked for him you worked through him as he was a true apostle. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Amen.